You're listening to the Grace Point Northwest podcast. We hope that you will be encouraged and built up in your relationship with Jesus as you hear the preaching and teaching of God's Word. If Grace Point Northwest is not your home church, it is our heart that this podcast will be supplemental and not a substitute to you belonging to a local church in your community. If we can help you get connected to a church in your community, please let us know. And we hope you enjoy this message from our Sunday gathering. All right, good morning, Grace Point Church Northwest. My name is Travis. I serve as one of the pastors here at the church. If you got a Bible, please open up to Luke chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, we normally say go to our Connect Here table. However, we're not going to be able to go there for a few weeks. So if you want, in order to follow along, just download the version app. You can find all of the scriptures, quotes, and stuff like that in there. Now, this morning we're going to be continuing our series of Lent. We've entitled this series, Dying to Live. We've been looking at some selected scriptures in the Gospel of Luke while being challenged to die to some things in order to experience greater joy and life in Jesus. And this morning, I believe what Luke wants to tell us is we need to die to living for ourselves or living to please ourselves. So if you got your Bibles open, go ahead and listen as, and follow along as our scripture is read. Luke chapter 9, verse 18 through 27 says this, Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, Who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that that one of the prophets of old had risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. It's the word of the Lord. Now, Luke chapter 9, we see in those first three verses that Jesus is having a private conversation with his disciples. Uh, When he is done praying, he calls them over and he says, Hey guys, what's the word on the street? What's the talk, uh, you know, the gossip on the street? Who are people saying that I am? And when you look at these responses, they're absolutely amazing. You see, some people are saying that Jesus was John the Baptist, or he was Elijah, or he was a, a prophet of old that had risen. Don't miss what these guys are saying. These are some pretty honoring suggestions. The crowds don't see Jesus just merely as an ordinary man, but rather they see him as extraordinary and they recognize that something extraordinary is taking place. However, what we see is that though they think highly of Jesus, they are still apart from Jesus. They're still far from him. How do we know? Well, notice what Jesus says here. He looks at his disciples and he says, who do you say that I am? You see, Jesus, that you there that Jesus is using, is highly emphatic. He's asking this question for all of us to consider here this morning. It's obvious Jesus is expecting a different answer from his followers. Think about it. These guys have followed along with him. They've seen his miracles. They've heard his teachings. They've seen him up close. And with that, what does Peter, who's kind of the spokesman for the group, what does Peter say? He says, you are the Christ of God. You are the Messiah. You're the one we have been waiting for. You are the promised one sent by God. How did did Peter say this? Well, in the Gospel of Matthew, which is another biography of Jesus's life, we see something very, very helpful. In Matthew 6, 17, it says this, And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, 
but my Father who is in heaven. You got to love that. It's kind of like the, the kid who's not the brightest in class all of a sudden becoming the genius. And you know, Peter is sitting there. He's taking this all in. Jesus says, who do you say I am? And all of a sudden he just drops some knowledge. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, wow, that's better than normal. It's like for you, Peter, obviously you've had some help. Now, I don't think Jesus is just merely being condescending here to Peter. Rather, all Jesus is saying is that Peter could not have come up with this on his own. He needed some help. He needed some divine assistance. And so what separates Peter from the crowds? It's just simply this, the grace of God in his life, the revelation of God in his life. His response wasn't merely him trying to figure this out. He wasn't just simply exercising great admiration or enthusiasm. It was all of grace. And the question for us this morning is the same. Who is Jesus? And does your answer resemble that of the crowds? Or does your answer resemble that of Peter's? You see, many today think highly of Jesus, but they don't, still don't believe that he is God. Millions of people all over the world think that Jesus was a prophet, possibly the greatest prophet of all time. He should be in the religious hall of fame, if you will. But that's all that he is. He is just a prophet. There are other people that still think that Jesus is merely a myth or a fiction. They think that he's perhaps just an old ancient magician on the level of somebody like David Copperfield. And they'll tell you, well, besides, you know, those people are primitive. They would believe practically anything. And, and, and of course, the disciples, they probably exaggerated the stories of Jesus. I mean, how can they be trusted? But the question that I have for this, for, for them and for us this morning is just simply this. Why did they kill Jesus in the first place? And would these guys have really died for an exaggeration? But there's still other people that just think Jesus is nothing more than a moral teacher. Yeah, he taught some good things and he lived out an example. Yeah, he died on a cross, but that's all that that was. That was an example. There's nothing else really there. What are these statements trying to do? They put forth a Jesus that is extraordinary, but he's clearly not God. Now, many people have heard this quote before, but I think it's worth repeating. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis says this, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg. Or, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. You and I, we can read our Bibles, we can pray our prayers, we can serve the church and the community and answer questions cor correctly in our community groups and still be absolutely wrong. I know of men and women who write wonderful commentaries about Jesus, true things about Jesus, things that I would even agree with about Jesus, but they still don't believe in Jesus. They see this as nothing more than literature. You see, during the season of Let, perhaps what we need to do is we need to die to thinking that Jesus was nothing more than extraordinary, but rather, Jesus is divine. Now, Peter's confession was absolutely right, but it could lead to a misunderstanding, so Jesus tries to clean that up. Listen to what he says in verses 21 through 22. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and to be killed. And on the third day, be raised. 
Why the strict warning? Well, what, is, what does Jesus say is about to happen? He's about to die. Many of those in this, during this time had this view that when the Messiah would come, he would be a political leader, that he would gather all of God's people from the four corners of the earth. He would gather them back into Jerusalem, and he would set up Jerusalem as a superpower in the world. And when you think about this throughout the Gospel of Luke, as you read through it, you'll see this makes sense right? I mean, Jesus, what is he doing? He's raising the dead. He's healing people who are sick. He's feeding the 5,000. I mean, what a king. I mean, even Peter had this view. Yes, he saw Jesus as the God-man. He saw him as the Son of God, the Messiah to come. But listen to Matthew 6, 21 through 23. From that time, Jesus began to show the disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to what? Rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. I mean, think about this. This is a very humiliating situation for Peter. He literally pulls Jesus aside, kind of like a parent does in the grocery store when they're acting up. And he looks at him and he says, you need to stop speaking that way. Peter is on the verge of rage. And what does Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. Just a few minutes earlier, Jesus blesses Peter, says this is an amazing answer that you have just given Peter. And just a few minutes later, what does he say? You're following Satan. Remember from our first week when we talked about the lie of autonomy and how we need to die to autonomy, what did we see in Luke chapter 4? That Jesus was in a wilderness. And throughout that time, he was being tempted 40 days, just, just being tempted by the devil. And all we get to see are three of those. And what was the temptation behind the devil in each one of the, what was the motivation behind the temptation of the devil in each one of those scenarios? It was to push Jesus towards a crossless path. And that's what Peter is basically doing. He is speaking Satan's message to Jesus again. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. You see, Jesus wanted nothing to deter him from the Father's plan. And notice what he says here. He doesn't say, I have to die. I have to do these things. Kind of like my kids when they say, I have to pick up the dog poo, or I have to clean my room, or I can't go, to, go, to, go play in the park because I have to go to the store. You and I use a similar type of language when we say, I can't go to the concert because I have to clean the house, or I can't go to the game because I have to work. Jesus doesn't say, I have to suffer many things, be rejected by religious leaders, die and rise again. What does he say? I must. I must. It was a conviction. There is no reluctancy in Jesus' words. He knew it was necessary for him to suffer, die, and rise again on the third day. It was the Father's will. Just like a firefighter must run into a burning building, or an ambulance must get that patient to the hospital, or a bride or a groom must get to their ceremony. What is Jesus saying? I must suffer, I must die, and I must rise again. For the disciples, Jesus was presenting a Messiah that did not meet their expectations. If anything, what he was presenting was the exact opposite of their expectations. They wanted a conquering king, but Jesus said he would be a conquering king. He just would not be a conquering king in the way they wanted him to be. And as Jesus' followers, they and we must follow in Jesus and what he is doing by living a cross-focused life. Listen to verses 23 through 25. 
And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and let loses and forfeits himself? What is Jesus referring to here by carrying your cross? I don't know about you, but I hear a lot of people use that language for things that, honestly, I don't think Jesus intended it to be used for. They'll say things, well, I have this crazy dog. I guess that's my cross to bear in this life. Or they'll say, I got a bad knee. I guess that's my cross to bear. Others have said to me, you know, my, just kind of jokingly, but they'll say, my good looks are my cross to bear. Or some people say, well, my mother-in-law is my cross to bear. But what? But that is not what Jesus is talking about. We tend to think of bearing our cross as a form of suffering or any form of suffering and the suffering that impacts both Christian and non-Christian in life. Yet, nobody has to be committed to Jesus to have a crazy dog. Nobody has to be committed to Jesus to have a, you know, crazy allergies or a bad knee or a looks or a mother-in-law that's just, you know, crazy. We don't have to be following Jesus for any of those things. You see, the cross that Jesus says his followers are to carry is a focused on what? Denying themselves daily. That is why, according to Jesus, it is ridiculous for us to exalt our bank accounts and the accumulation of benefits and possessions over our souls. You might have, you might have the world by the tail, but you can't take any of that with you. Last I checked, I've never seen a U-Haul following a hearse. Materialism, power, comfort, and security are some of the things and the biggest obstacles that come with living the Christian life. As followers of Jesus, we not only identify with his resurrection, but we also identify with his sufferings. In Philippians chapter 2, we read that Jesus did not exalt himself, but what did he do? He denied himself by taking on flesh and dying for our sins. That is why as disciples of Jesus, we need to be committed to a cross-centered life, a crucified life, if you will, of self-denial. We walk against the cultural values by getting off the throne of our hearts and adopting Jesus' values as our own for the sake of the gospel. For the early church, bearing the cross practically meant denying yourself, but it also meant that you were to live in a world that was antagonistic to Christ. It meant to experience scorn, ridicule, Paul was beaten, Stephen was put to death. And that is true for many of us here today. However, It could also, what living a cross-centered life could also be is being a parent who seeks not only their own desires, but denies himself or herself by serving their child's best interest for the sake of the gospel. It could be a spouse that instead of asking what could be done for them, they deny themselves by asking what they could do for their spouse for the sake of the gospel. Or how about a neighbor, especially in a time like this, who may not be able to leave their home due to being ill, Perhaps you could deny yourself, go over to that neighbor and offer to go to the grocery for them to help them out for the sake of the gospel. In the early church, it is reported that those who weren't Christian at the first onset of disease, they pushed the sufferers away and fled their dearest, throwing them into the roads before they were even dead, treating unburied corpses as dirt, hoping thereby to avert spreading a a contagion or a fatal disease. But to do that, But to to what they might, they found it to be difficult to escape. You see, basically, if you ever see Mighty Python, he says, what is it? Bring out your dead, bring out your dead. And you got the guy in the wheelbarrow going, I'm not dead yet. That's kind of what was going on here. 
The Emperor Julian at the time tried to combat the growth of Christianity by starting his own charities because listen to what he says in a letter in AD 362. It says that Julian compared that the Hellenists needed to match the Christians in virtue, blaming the recent growth of Christianity on their benevolence to strangers, their care for the graves of the dead, the, and the pre- pretended holiness of their lives. He woes elsewhere of it is, as it is a disgrace of the, the Christians because they not only support their poor, but they support the poor of the city as well. You see, what it means to live a cross-centered life, to live a life of denial, to bear that cross in our lives is just adopting Jesus' ethics and values in our businesses, in our homes, in our communities, in our world. You see, we live a crucified life, a bold life for Jesus. Listen to the last two verses. For whoever is ashamed of me of my words... Of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Jesus puts it another way here. If we deny him, what does he say? He's going to deny us. We should be willing to put up with scorn, rejection, shame from this world rather than see one ounce of Jesus being ashamed of us. When we live for Christ and we bear that cross, We get opportunities to proclaim His good news to the people around us. And we need to be prepared that not all people are going to be ready to receive that. I can remember a young man who worked at a fire station that was ridiculed by the people he worked with because of his sexual ethic, waiting for marriage in order to uh, be with somebody. And the guys in in the firehouse, they rejected him. They ridiculed him. They shamed him. But he will tell you, I would rather bear that shame than be ashamed by Jesus. I can constantly think of conversations that I've had, that my wife have had, that my father's even had, in which he was left out of conversations and get-togethers because of his loyalty to Christ. And here's what I want to tell you. That is okay. That is okay. Why? Because we are not ashamed of Jesus. We are not ashamed of his values. We're not ashamed of his ethics. And as his followers, we carry that cross joyfully, joyfully for his glory and the joy of other people. Grace Point Church Northwest, as we enter into this next season, may we live a cross-centered life, if you will, bearing our cross, willing to take the shame that what it means to be, the shame that could come possibly of being associated with Jesus, but let us do so joyfully. Because one of the things you need to understand about that time when Emperor Julian was ruling and he was shaming the Christians for their, their generosity and their grace and, the, and their service to the community, more and more people became Christians because of the faithfulness of those followers of Jesus. So let's commit to living boldly for Jesus now and throughout this season for His glory, our joy, and for the good of the community around us. You see, Jesus is calling us during this time of Lent to what? To die to ourselves to die to pleasing ourselves so that we can deny ourselves for the sake of other people for their good and joy in Jesus. Let's pray. 